is the state of the built to rent market. So we'll dig into that. All right, welcome to The Landscape, the new George Smith Partners podcast. We're very excited to have our own Ed Steflin as our special guest this week. As always, my co-host is Mr. David Pascal. Hello. We'll give Ed a chance to introduce himself here in a minute. But before that, I just want to remind you to sign up for The Landscape by going to www.gspartners.com and signing up for FinFax, our newsletter. Also, you can find our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and probably some other places by now. So we're very excited to have Ed. The topic today is the state of the build to rent market. Mm -hmm. So we'll dig into that and let's get going. Okay. So hi, Ed Stefflin. Great to be on your podcast today. And I'm based in New York. I'm a principal here at George Smith Partners, as well as a co-founder of Balkar Group, which is a developer of build to rent communities um, that started in 2018. So. That's right. And Ed's a big LinkedIn guy. So if you're ever short on like, you know, some charts and graphs, go follow Mr. Ed Stefflin on LinkedIn and you'll get some good uh, housing yes, related. Good market info. Yeah, good yeah. market info. He's got it going, got it flowing. All right. So what is built to rent? All right. Built to rent really is talking about purpose built, built to rent communities, either as a single plat or individually platted, very much like multifamily, but using either detached single family homes, smaller cottage product, town homes, or maybe a duplex product where it's built for purposely built for rental in communities, which is now you know, termed build to rent. So these are owned and operated often like apartments uh, with on-site leasing management amenities. Others are remote management, but again, unlike single family for rent, which are generally scattered that really grew out of the uh, great financial crisis. These are built by design, very similar, keeping the maintenance cost, et cetera, down. Cool. They're contiguous product. Contiguous product. Yeah. So tell us, before we get into the details of the current market, tell us a little bit more about um, what, what markets these do really well in, the size of the deals, and sure. what are we talking about here? So generally, if you think about the markets these are in, it's really the southern smile of the United States, right? The, the Sun Belt, the Southeast, where you can get a reasonable sized land position, call it anywhere from 12 to 40 acres, um, or buying lots in a master plan. Um, so that it that is tends to be the markets they're in. The genesis of this also, which people don't think about, is the the value proposition of not living, you know, let's call it in a suburban apartment, you know, walk up third floor and the costs, right? I think where the, where the magic really occurred to people is that the cost to build these communities on a per door basis were similar to suburban multifamily. And that's because it's a different trade base. You don't have sprinklers, you don't have commercial code. And so really the genesis of this is really almost in the cost basis, right? Almost anyone who would prefer to live in a single family home, private space, garage, as opposed to a walk up third floor suburban apartment. And if you can create that product at a similar price point, well, it's a win-win all around. Cool. And, you know, let's talk about like the financing. How, how are they financed both on the, you know, the, the construction and the perm side. Sure. 
you know, how does that work? So typically a developer, you know, will secure a piece of land and then they're looking at bank debt and the, the, the bank debt or a debt fund will either finance kind of 60 percent up to maybe seventy five percent today. Mm -hmm. You know, prior to these uh, minor bank issues yeah. we've had, that used to get a little bit higher. Right. And that's typically non recourse type financing, mm -hmm. and either a SOFR three hundred, maybe the SOFR five fifty if you're using a debt mm -hmm. fund. Right. The debt funds will be a little bit more aggressive. Um, maybe get to seventy seventy five percent loan to cost. Mm -hmm. And at that level, you're probably looking at a spread of 550 over LIBOR. I mean, so far, sorry, yeah. showing my age. Um, and then on the equity, that's typically, not typically, often private equity, right? And there's a lot of funds who specialize only in built rent communities. And then there's also private equity that does this plus all types of other, including multi. Um, so that's that fills out the capital stack. Mm. So, David, um, you, you've seen bank financing moving all over the place. Ed was talking about bank financing. Maybe we should also talk about uh, where the capital market is today and what we're doing as capital advisors at GSP in terms of structuring deals in the marketplace, given that we have, I think, seen some pullback from the private equity guys. So maybe we can touch on that, Ed. Sure. Yeah. We private equity, we have also seen really want to become not private equity, but private preferred equity. <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of the, those funds have decided to maybe give away some upside for some downside protection in this rate environment. Mm -hmm. And so that is definitely a theme out there. However, that still leaves a pretty good check that needs to be written by the developer below the preferred equity. Um, and, and a lot of institutions don't want to be below that preferred equity. so. Um, it does leave a little bit of a gap in the cap stack. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not, it's just requiring more common equity right now. That's right, yeah. That's right. So um, let's talk a little bit more about um, the, uh, some of the, like, the, the moving parts of getting a, a deal done in today's market. So well, much of our audience might be real estate sponsors and developers. Uh, people that maybe have done a lot of multifamily development in the past or other asset classes and are trying to do this, some that uh, may be trying to do this for the first time. Um, when when should they make, you know, how, how should they look at their sites in terms of site selection and, and, right. and uh, market selection and whatnot? And are there in certain markets oversupply right now that you're concerned about? Okay, so let's start with the first question. The first question of site selection and what should you look for for a first time you know, sponsor, you know, I think you put your multifamily hat on, you're gonna to wanna to see some drive-by traffic right to your site. You're gonna to wanna to say, hey, if I was a renter, right, where would I wanna live? Mm -hmm. Easy access to employment, maybe good schools, depending. Um, you know, can people see where my, right? I would say from my experience, a decent amount of traffic despite Google and all the Zillow I would say more than half of your renters are gonna come from drive-by traffic mm -hmm. right but they have to see the site they have to understand what it is right um, so I think identifying those sites and then you know in today's world it's it's you know you want to be very selective to be able to get a deal capitalized there needs to be a story there needs to be a something special about that site as opposed to you know 400 homes, you know, somewhere mixed in some community, right? It has to be somewhat special. Um, and the second part of your question was? Well, supply in the market. Oh, so. supply. 
supply demand certain sub markets yeah are they getting overbuilt on it or yeah it's a very interesting question so if you look at build for rent the the, the commentary like for a market like phoenix right where a lot of what we call horizontal multifamily which is more of a smaller cottage product so maybe a 600 square foot one bedroom up to like a 1200 square foot three bedroom single plat much more apartment like in the way it's designed and, and operated there is a lot of that product going to the ground on the ground in phoenix however you know you kind of have to combine that with multifamily. so phoenix has both right it has a large supply of built rent has a large supply of multifamily. however job growth there has been pretty phenomenal mm -hmm. so you know, I think the performance has still been very strong even today. As those deliveries come on, you know, I think there might be some adjustments in terms of rents, et cetera, but Phoenix is a market that continues to drive job growth. Like, let's, if you took Dallas three or four years ago, I think a lot of people were, oh my God, it's overbuilt, it's too expensive. Look at Dallas today. Look at Houston, which is soon to be the fourth largest city in the country. A lot of people are overbuilt, right? Nobody wants to be, it, those cities continue to job growth, employments, right? Strong, move to, move right? To affordable, even yeah. though less affordable today. So I think in those markets, it's very, it's very hard to say if they are getting overbuilt. Mm -hmm. I will say capital has been a little more skeptical of markets like Phoenix. I know Huntsville is one people mm -hmm. from the built rent side and have thought maybe got a little ahead of itself. Now, the benefit of the pullback in the capital markets it's much more difficult to get deals capitalized today. That is gonna put a pause on some of the supply. So if you start a build trend today, you're probably three years out, maybe four years out, depending on the jurisdiction, from putting that supply out. Right. So this actually could really help the supply demand dynamic in any of these markets. Right. We're also seeing renter by choice, yep. as you said. Mm -hmm. So right. renter by choice is because Nobody really wants to deal with lawn care. Something breaks in their house. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, going back to where the norm was, you didn't really used to have this option, right? So you either you had an apartment or you bought a nicer home, but you, this professionally managed communities with an amenity was not an option before. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, to buy a starter home, these aren't like, these aren't the home you're like, hey, I'm gonna live here forever. Right, 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 and so it's more commoditized. So commoditized products tend to be rented, not purchased forever. Right, and look, homes depreciate, commissions in and out are expensive. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you really do the math, no maintenance. I mean, let's be honest, everybody just wants to stare at their iPhone anyway. Yeah. nobody wants to do lawn maintenance or anything like that. Yeah. Pets, big driver, mm -hmm. garages for safety and security. Right, these are things you can have and rent. Before you could not have those in a rental. Mm -hmm. Right and you had to do walk-ups. I mean, this is a far superior right. way. And the people, renters by choice, don't have to be renters. They're choosing to rent because they like the lifestyle. I want to have a question. Uh, you know, when you and I were working on a deal in Dallas, you know, it, we found that sponsors, you know, as they identify sites, aren't really sure of how much they can build and a lot on that particular site. It's not yeah. just a piece of asphalt because you're out there at the edge of development. Talk a bit about that like process where you get the engineering and the city involved to see how dense yeah. the site is. You have to really think through how many units you can get. Is mm -hmm. it, and that's working with the city, your engineers, mm -hmm. your setbacks. 
So in some areas, the setbacks for residential, if you're doing what we call individually platted, so that these could, much like an individual house, could be sold and a title for each home. Those have setbacks typically that are much higher mm -hmm. than if you bought what we call single plat, one big piece of land that is one title mm -hmm. that you can build on. You don't, you're not subject necessarily to the same like setbacks from, you know, your driveway's gotta be 20 feet, you have to be 10 feet from another house. Mm -hmm. So each jurisdiction is different and we're starting to see jurisdictions not want rentals. There's a, <coughs> a narrative in the market that says, these are stealing from people who want to buy, right? Mm -hmm. The American dream is buying a house. Right. However, we're supply constrained anyway. People seem not to say that about apartments when yeah. these really are, in many ways, just another flavor of apartments, right? Right. right. Or multifamily. So you really have to think through the jurisdiction, the type of product, the engineering, the, the, the location. Are they going to let you have rentals, right? Are there any restrictions? Mm -hmm. Will they maybe put restrictions on you? So there's a lot of factors that go into figuring out kind of each piece of land. And it's, it's a lot of work. And now you're competing for the for sale market, which is you know, right. hot. Well, actually, one more question here for David can start on this one, maybe you can fill it in. Um, here, there's kind of an adage, sponsor market real estate, mm -hmm. kind of the three legs of the stool. There was a kind of a run up in, in built to rent a couple of years ago where a lot of deals were getting done where maybe one of the, those three legs of the stool wasn't quite as sturdy. So David, you know, you've been at this business forever now and you've done tens of billions of dollars of financings across the country. Maybe, yeah, yeah maybe, whatever, a lot. Enough that you've seen it all. You know, tell us a little bit about um, younger sponsorship groups and what they should do right now to kind of beef out their, you know, the one leg that they can probably control. I mean. You know, to some extent, you can't necessarily control if you're already in a market and what that market is. So Ed talked about some of the location-based things that you can do and thinking about density and making sure. Right. So I mean, I think a lot of it for young sponsors or beginning sponsors is scalability and making sure your first projects are you know taking a lot of time, making sure it's going to work and that you have uh, that you're not financing it to the absolute limit that you still have some room in there and you know I think the most important thing is is you know is know your local market you know and 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 have your local market expertise maybe help you even though you don't have a lot of experience or net worth and you know partner with the right people etc I thought you were going to say what's the best thing for a young sponsor, maybe to age up. <laughs> exactly. Like put a little gray hair before the, cool. the meeting. So um, anything else, gentlemen? I have a question for you. Yeah. Where, where, where would you underwrite a cap rate in a model for sale of a build to rent today? If you were modeling out an vacant, a, you're modeling out a development deal, okay. full leased up in but three no, years, exactly. exit, Cap rate. I mean, I would say, given where interest rates are, and I'd love mm -hmm. to hear David's, you know, thoughts on this, but you probably need 100 basis points. So at least six and a half, probably closer to seven. I mean, what we're, you know, the, the, the cap rate conversation now is interesting because there's not a lot of data. I've been hearing from sales brokers and appraisers yep. and lenders and equity uh, that there's so little information. I'll give a quick example. The Pro Lodges beat Blackstone REIT 
big industrial deal gave you know it was a large purchase of industrial that closed last week where uh, b reed sold to prologis sales brokers rejoiced because they had a data point for industrial because there's just no data points right now but there's no data points maybe because as you, you say hope is a terrible thing <laughs> so people are hoping and like just for the hold settling on down. for the settling down and maybe interest rates come down right negative leverage is a big concern right yes what do you yes. think i mean about negative leverage and this is no, the... i think i mean like we have, i think the institutional world underwrites on an untrended basis so mm -hmm. it is a little double punishing right now to underwrite Today's higher rates and you're not giving any benefit so if inflation stays high yeah your rents are obviously going to trend up but we're not underwriting that and then if you take the current rates because inflation's high it's a bit of a double double whammy i'm not saying you should bet on this i mean look all real estate's somewhat of an interest rate bet at some level but you know that's the challenge today right is that if you're underwriting untrended which is again how the banks and the equity is going to underwrite it but the long-term rates reflect this high inflation you know it's tough to get a deal to pencil mm -hmm. right and so you have to be super selective today and find that 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 deal that works yeah totally agree mm -hmm. i agree too any other words of wisdom watch cpi tomorrow yeah watch cpi mm -hmm. tomorrow all right that's it thank you guys appreciate yeah, it thank you, you can, remember you can find us at www.gspartners.com please sign up for finfax that's our newsletter you can find links to the podcast in that newsletter and we'd be happy to answer any questions so yes we're around all right see ya thank you, thank you everyone